This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Brown's Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com, coming at you guys here on Tuesday morning, a couple days after the Super Bowl. Everything is sort of processed. Wanted to come at you guys with a little bit more Senior Bowl information. I think as this month goes on, it will be interesting to follow the Browns' course as they run towards free agency. It'll be interesting also as the scouts have a lot more time to break down some of these college prospects talk about who had their best senior bowl, who really helped themselves, who hurt themselves, some names the Browns should keep their eye on. Seems as though the Browns have picked up steam a little bit with Jeffrey Simmons, D-tackle out of Mississippi State, who I think most of us could have deduced that John Dorsey would be very interested in due to the, uh, obviously, the, the fantastic play on the football field, but a little bit of a red flag. I will remove the word uh, words, a little bit of it. It's certainly a red flag from his, his past with an assault charge. And uh, I think that I think that as, as time wears on here, we're going to see the Browns are connected to more and more of those guys as John Dorsey seems to be keen on what he calls second chances. So uh, the connection to Jeffrey Simmons makes a lot of sense, and I think the Browns are going to be real contenders for him at 17, but it seems as though uh, somebody in the front office has been connected to saying the Browns are very keen on him. So certainly a name to pay attention to for Browns fans. It will obviously be... Uh, up and down there's going to be a ton of different names thrown out from now until the draft and free agency will dictate a lot of that I've talked ad nauseum about free agency and how I think the Browns have to go about uh, you know attacking that situation with I think they need to come out of it with at least one starting caliber defensive end um, maybe not necessarily defensive end but for certain a defensive tackle and probably one defensive end who can at least play at a higher level than say Chris Smith or Anthony Zettel that they had backing up. So those those times will be very important for the Browns. The combine coming up in a month at the end of February, at the beginning of March. And those combine numbers will tell a lot about who the Browns are most interested in. And, um, you know, picking 17, it'll be a little bit different feeling for the fan base. But I think it'll be, um, you know, one that's going to be just as important as the times that they've picked first overall because the Browns are, they finally have this, this solid base in, in place here, and it's now about adding pieces to that base to take it to the next level. So it will be fun to track, um, you know, sort of those mid-first-round targets and then some of those late targets because the Browns still have 11 picks, and I do think that they will move up and, and take some of those second-day uh, mid-round prospects, especially those rounds three to five, where I think that they'll be super active in trying to find some, some uh, dark horse a sleeper type prospect, so that's what we want to adjust. But before we get to today's guest, I want to talk to you guys about another Browns podcast, The Rebuild. Jordan Zerm does a great job, brings on a wide variety of guests over there. It's another Blue Wire podcast, uh, and I think that you should give that one a chance if you already haven't. Uh, knowing most of you follow me, follow Jordan, it, probably giving The Rebuild a shot. But if you have not done so, please do so. Give 
give Jordan a listen, give him a review, give him a subscription. Well worth your time. And also the Chase Down Pod, which does great work covering the Cavaliers. They're worth your time as well. I know it's a tough season for the Cavs, but Justin and Carter do a great job breaking down sort of the trade deadline, how things are going to pan out for the Cavs, getting some return as they just shipped off Rodney Hood, and they might ship off a couple more pieces. So if you get a chance, listen to the Chase Down Pod, another Blue Wire podcast, which is also worth your time. But let's dive into the good stuff and get over to our guest, guys. All right, guys, excited to welcome in Dane Brugler. Okay, you guys can find him at, at DPBrugler on Twitter, one of the best draft minds covering the draft, does a great job as the, uh, the uh, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. If you guys subscribe to The Athletic, you're used to seeing his content. I uh, was really excited to get him on the podcast because uh, I think he gives a unique perspective on the draft and can give us some insights on what the Browns might be looking at. Dane, how you doing today, bud? I'm doing well, Jake. Appreciate you uh, having me on. I always enjoy talking Browns, especially as a, a Northeast Ohio native and, uh, you know, still have a lot of family in Northeast Ohio. So any chance to talk Browns, uh, I'm definitely in, especially now with uh, kind of the the upswing of the franchise and uh, all the optimism moving forward. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It seems like more and more people I talk to that are on a national basis, they have some sort of affinity for the Browns, whether they're uh, connected to the to the franchise from living in this direction, the sort of cradle of football that is Northeast Ohio. And, um, no, it's, re- it's really unique. And Dane and I were talking off the air about a connection through I went to Muskingum and he spent some time at Mount Union. We sort of crossed paths at the beginning of my career, the – uh, end of his career there and talk about Pierre Garçon and that was that was really cool so um, yeah I want to get your opinion Dane about Senior Bowl man just sort of uh, who popped off at the Senior Bowl big names that, that should be carrying some momentum uh, heading into the combine later next month yeah it was a good week in Mobile um, and, and you know it's it's really productive because you, you think about it it's the last time we could see these guys in a football set you know pad helmet uh, doing stuff on a football field, football-related drills where, you know, combine is short shirt. You're not necessarily doing, uh, you know, football-related stuff. It's more, uh, you know, testing and uh, athletic drills. And then in workouts, same kind of kind of deal. So mobile is really important. Uh, get these guys on the same playing field, uh, compare them. And, you know, really going into the week, Montez Sweat, pass rusher from Mississippi State, uh, he was a top player going in. And I think as we leave Mobile, he was a top player, uh, 6'6", 252 pounds, 35, 5-inch arms. Uh, you know, he, he played like you would expect a first-round pass rusher to play, uh, understands how to use his length, uh, really does a nice job uh, against the run, not just a pass rusher. So I think Montez Sweat kind of cemented himself as a, a top 25 pick uh, in this draft, as long as teams are okay with, uh, you know, the off-field and the character stuff. I thought maybe that one of the biggest risers was Chuma Edoga, USC offensive tackle, who, you know, I think overall that USC offense uh, was just a disaster this year, especially the offensive line. But removing Edoga from that bad situation and putting him in a, uh, a setting like this at the Senior Bowl really gave him a chance to shine and, you know, show that it wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh, contributing to the bad play. He was, you know, one of the few bright spots. And, we got to see that this week. Really light feet, uh, core strength, flexibility, done job using his hands. Uh, so he needs to shore up a few of the technique issues. But Chuma Adoga went from a guy considered probably a you know early day three player. Uh, he's working his way in the top 100. 
Uh, a couple of the offensive linemen that helped themselves, Titus Tower from Alabama State, uh, one of the top small school guys this year. He definitely held his own for being a, an FCS guy. Uh, Elgin Jenkins from Mississippi State, guards versatility. He's a big boy. He plays powerful. Uh, I think he cemented himself at a, somewhere in the top two rounds. Um, on defense, Terrell Hanks from New Mexico State, linebacker, uh, had a big week. And then Dalen Mack from A&M, defensive tackle. Uh, Javon Hargrave, like, yeah, that big bubble, plays low, wins with leverage, uh, likes to play power football. As we leave Mobile, stuck out to me as winners from the week. Absolutely. Good, uh, good insight there. I think that sometimes those small school guys getting that opportunity, it's pretty important for them. And it puts some, some names on the radar for Browns fans. Uh, a couple wide receivers that popped off this week. Well, there's, there's, there's really two I want to ask you about. Debo Samuel, I think, has caught a lot of buzz. Sort of your opinion on him. And then, uh, you know, the Ohio native Terry McLaurin, what you thought of him this past week, too. Debo definitely had a great week. I think he, you know, going into the week, there was some conversation, okay, who's the top senior wide receiver in this class? Um, you know, Andy Isabella from UMass is mm -hmm. certainly in that discussion. Uh, his, his week was up and down. Um, Debo Samuel was right there, and I thought he had a really strong week. You know, not uh, a guy that's really going to wow you with uh, size speed. I mean, he has good speed, but he's not a true burner. Uh, Size-wise, 5'11 and a half, 216 pounds. Uh, but I think he has a really keen understanding of how to be a playmaker. He's one of the best yak threats, uh, yards after catch threats uh, in this draft. Uh, he was a big-time playmaker on special teams at South Carolina. Um, he had, I think he tied the SEC record for return touchdowns with four over his career. Um, and so just a guy with uh, – he understands what the, when the ball's in his hands what he can do to create and get the most out of every touch. Uh, and that showed. And he also did a nice job uh, with his releases, did a nice job uh, once he was able to stack the corner uh, deep, create some late separation, um, understand what to do with the stem. So I, with Debo Samuel, going into the week, there was some conversation, who's the top senior wide receiver for here? I think he leads the week saying, putting a strong uh, you know, reason why, hey, I'm the top wide receiver among the senior class. Uh, and I think he made a strong cover, or a strong uh, uh, reason why he should be in the top 100 uh, conversation. And then Terry McLaurin, who, you know, it's, Paris Campbell uh, chose not to be there. I mean, there was uh, some talk about injury, whatever, but he decided not to be at the Senior Bowl. And, you know, Terry McLaurin stepped in, Ohio State uh, wide receiver, and had an outstanding week. Uh, showed off the speed, um, caught the ball well. Uh, corners had a tough time, and really with the one-on-one -on -one drills at the, at the Senior Bowl, it, it's tough for these corners who they're just put out there on the island, and it can be tough, and it, it was especially true when they went up against uh, McLaurin, who had that quickness, had the speed, uh, and, and he did a nice job finishing. Uh, he had a, a drop in the actual game, but during the practices, uh, he routinely impressed uh, with the one-on-one -on -one drills, seven-on-seven, uh, some of the team drills as well. So Terry McLaurin comes out of this week as a winner, and that's just on top of what teams already knew about him, character-wise, uh, what he can do on special teams. Uh, so a strong week here uh, only amplifies his draft status uh, based on what scouts already knew. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. I, I want to shift away a little bit, uh, just uh, sort of catering to the fan base conversation about wide receivers and the, and the Browns sort of at least – conversationally considering adding a weapon potentially in the first round do you see DK Metcalf as that 
only true difference-making wide receiver in this draft class? Is he your number one guy? Yeah, he is my number one guy. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a, necessarily a slam dunk just because he's a total freak. I mean, there's no way around it. 6'4", 230, 35 pounds. He's going to run in the, you know, four fours. He's, it, the wingspan's ridiculous. Uh, you know, for those who don't know, his dad was an offensive lineman, Terrence Metcalf, an offensive lineman for, uh, you know, the Bears uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, and he was kind of groomed for this. Um, you know, he grew up around the NFL. So uh, once he gets to this you know, professional level, it's not going to be too big for him. He understands what it takes. Uh, but in terms of his route running, uh, you know, there's some, uh, it needs some refinement there. Uh, being a better finisher at the catch point. Uh, but just the pure freakish qualities are off the charts, and that's why I think he will be the first wide receiver drafted. Uh, although I just I don't think it's a slam dunk that you know pencil him in as your number one receiver and flourish for the next ten years. And there's there's a little projection there, and I, it, you also factor in the medicals. Uh, you know, past three years at Ole Miss, two of those were uh, basically you know uh, robbed for via the injury. Uh, this year he played almost half the year before. Uh, neck issue, uh, non-spinal injury. Um, I'm told that he's going to be fully cl- cleared, and as long as he uh, he tests okay leading up into the combine, he'll be a full participant there. Um, so that's something to watch for just with the medicals. Uh, but you have to include Marquise Brown from Oklahoma, a different type of receiver, Kelvin Harmon, Riley Ridley. I mean, this wide receiver group, uh, you know, I don't know if there's just a ton of separation between these guys. And for me, that's why, uh, you know, I would lean – Towards going with a different position in the first round mm-hmm. and feel just as good getting uh, Nikhil Harry or, you know, one of these other wide receivers in the second round. Uh, as much as I do like DK Metcalf, I think he's the most upside, the most, uh, you know, the highest ceiling of any of these wide receivers. Um, I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk as some other people do. It's interesting because the Browns would put somebody like Metcalf in an ideal scenario where they're not forcing them with Landry's last probably the last mm-hmm. year of his contract and you know some of the pieces in Perriman and Callaway and Higgins that they could put somebody like Metcalf in a situation where they don't necessarily have to uh, you know thrive right away it could be a sort of bring them along process which is different from what the Browns have had to do with any other wide receiver they brought in even just dating back to last year with Callaway uh, they needed somebody like him to produce right away so it would be an ideal situation for them if they decided to go the Metcalf route uh, but I certainly align with your thought process, which there are plenty of other names could be had later and, and could fit sort of what the Browns' biggest needs are. And talking about their needs, uh, Dane, I want to ask you, defensive tackle, let, let me do this. Let me keep it open-ended. At pick 17, where do you think the Browns should go and what name sort of do you have aligning with them in that mode? I know this is a moving target and everything shifts as we lead up, but just sort of where you're, where you're at right now with it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm working on a, a two-round mock draft right now. It's going to go up on Monday, day after the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, it's it's a two-rounder, so I'm, I'm sure I'll receive, uh, you know, double the criticism for those picks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, honestly, doing a Browns mock draft right now, it's tough because I expect them to be very active in free agency. They've got, what, $75, $80 million that they could, you know, potentially spend. So I, I think, you know, knowing John um, – John Dorsey, I think that they're going to try and fill as many needs as they can through free agency. And then the, going into the draft, they'll have a full menu of options. But, you know, I think we're on the same uh, – you're thinking the same in terms of defensive tackle. I think that's where that could potentially be the best fit for them at 17 in the first round. 
you know, a good chance to upgrade the offensive line, especially that interior. Uh, it could be an ideal scenario if either uh, Jeffrey Simmons and Ed Oliver, uh, Christian Wilkins, if one of them is there at 17, to me that makes all the sense in the world to go that route. Simmons, he's a slam dunk top 10 player if, uh, if we're just talking about the talent. But not everybody's going to be on board with the character, so he could slip just a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we know John Dorsey is not afraid to take a chance on character as long as, you know, their background work uh, and, and interviews check out well. Uh, so I think, you know, Simmons could be in play at 17 if he's still around. Uh, Ed Oliver, there's some fit concerns there. Uh, between now and draft day, we're going to get uh, just – it's going to be really – it's going to get annoying uh, to, to talk about Ed Oliver and where he fits best and yeah. how he's not going to fit here or here. And uh, it's, it's already a tired debate. But, you know, I, I get the concerns because, you know, talking to scouts that went through Houston – he was 274 pounds in October, and just looking at him, they really worry about can he realistically 280, 285, you know, comfortably and still have that, uh, you know, the movement skills and the energy that make him so effective uh, as a run defender. We're going to hear the Aaron Donald comparisons thrown around, and really it's just not fair to uh, Oliver because he's, just, he's not on that same level, especially as a pass rusher. Uh, he doesn't bring that same uh, refinement uh, getting after the quarterback, uh, at least right now. And so uh, I think, you know, in terms of body type, there, there's some similarities, but play styles are different. Uh, and then Wilkins, who is one of the top seniors in this class. He did not play in the senior bowl. He's your classic penetrating three technique, uh, great hips, easy quickness, play smart. Uh, if one of those three guys is there at 17, I, I think it would be a uh, really great pick. And then uh, if they waited until day two to grab that interior defensive lineman, I think a name to keep in mind is Rennell Wren from Arizona State. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask you about guys, him. Yeah, I, I didn't mention him as someone who stood out, um, but he absolutely did this past week in Mobile. Uh, he's raw. Uh, there's no question. Technical uh, From a technical perspective, still piecing things together, but he's got a great first step, uses that upper body strength where he can just bully blockers. He reminds me a little bit of Chris Jones, who – uh, John Dorsey drafted in Kansas City, uh, you know, a guy who isn't quite ready right now, but you know, in two years we could talk about him as uh, you know one of the uh, foundation pieces of a defense. So Rennell Wren uh, is a name to keep in mind on day two if they don't go with interior defensive line around one. Yeah, Wren is a fascinating prospect. The production stuff is interesting too. I I think his combine will be imperative, obviously. It's going to be, if he blows up that combine, it'll be a justifiable pick on day two. Uh, I, I, last position I want to talk to you about is offensive tackle. If somebody along the lines of Jonah Williams, who's another highly debated player, if he slips to 17 or Ford out of Oklahoma is there, do you think they could go offensive tackle there and would the value align at that, at that spot? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I know Greg Robinson played well uh, this year, or at least, you know, better than expected, put it that way. Um, and he showed improvement. Uh, I still, I'm looking to upgrade that position. I'm looking to protect the most important piece of my franchise, and that's Baker Mayfield. So, uh, you know, and with Robinson uh, being a free agent, he's a free agent, correct, right? Yeah, he is. They have intentions of bringing him back, so, but yeah, he's a free agent. Right. And we know offensive tackles that have a pulse are going to get paid. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not overpaying for Greg Robinson. I, I'd i like to bring him back uh, because, I, like I said, I think he played better than expected and, um, you know, can at least uh, give you depth on the offensive line. But I'm not overpaying for that. And if it, it works out in the draft, I, I think this could be a, 
at 17, a situation where you look at a Cody Ford who gives you tackle guard versatility. Um, you know, Cody Ford's just a bully. He's 6'4", 335 pounds, long arms. Um, you know, he reminds me of uh, just like a, a bouncer who is just waiting <laughs> for an underage kid to show him a fake ID so he can, uh, you know, show off that uh, that strength and that anger of his. Uh, but he, he beat up guys in the Big 12. Uh, I, and, you know, watching him, you know, for a bigger guy, you expect him to have some trouble with speed, but I didn't see him get beat around the corner once. Uh, and so, you know, I, and I, he did a nice job uh, adjusting the inside moves. Um, you know, he's got that wide base that really helps and broad shoulders and the wingspan certainly help. But, you know, he moves really well, carries that weight comfortably. So Cody Ford, if he's still around at 17, uh, that'd be awfully appealing. Uh, Jonah Williams, yeah, another you know narrative that we're gonna that's gonna get tired uh, about the tackle guard and where does he fit best. Uh, I absolutely, I'm, I'm keeping him at left tackle. I think he's shown enough, um, you know, from a he's so technically strong. Um, he, he understands how to break down uh, pass rushers. Uh, there's a, there's some Joe Thomas to his game with you know he doesn't have that great length. Uh, doesn't necessarily check every box in terms of what you're looking for, uh, you know, and a Tyron Smith type of left tackle in the NFL, but he just, he gets the job done. And so could he play, uh, could he be a, you know, a pro bowl guard in the NFL? Sure. I think he could be, but I also think he could be, uh, you know, an impact tackle as well. So, you know, all these offensive linemen, Jawan Taylor from Florida belongs in that conversation, Greg Little from Ole Miss, mm -hmm. uh, any of those four, and even Andre Dillard. I mean, I think he's more of a late one, but, any of those five offensive linemen, uh, depending on what happens in free agency and what the Browns do, uh, there's no such thing as having too much offensive line help, too much offensive line depth. I think all five of those names are uh, worth keeping on the radar for the Browns as a possibility. Yeah, I know Browns fans will be super excited to hear that about Jonah Williams and the Joe Thomas comp. <laughs> everybody everybody yeah. misses Joe up this way. But, yeah, I think that uh, tackle might be something that's not sexy necessarily. And uh, I think you're right about Greg Robinson and the idea that overpaying him might be a mistake in the long run. We're just going to have to see. I think that we'll get a very big feel for how much they trust Greg in the free agency process and how much they're willing to pay him. And then if they don't, obviously they're pigeonholing themselves into a tackle at some point early in the draft. So it will be fascinating. I want to give you one last question, Dane. Uh, I, I tried to give you a little bit of time to prepare for this. You're, you're one sleeper, maybe somebody not on the radar, uh, you know, the guy that you would pound the table for. Just I know we're still a little bit early, but just a sleeper maybe nobody's heard about that they should pay a little bit of attention to. Well, you know, Nasir Adderley from Delaware, the safety, was my guy when I watched him back in October. I, you know, he, he was kind of my guy, but he's not much of a sleeper anymore. He's, he's my top-rated safety. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think there's some uh, – Smaller school guys to keep on the radar. Elon's got a guard, uh, Ole Udo. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if this really counts as a sleeper, but Missouri wideout Emmanuel Hall. Mm -hmm. I think he's getting forgotten. Attention, he should. 6'2", He's got legit 4'3 speed. Uh, a lot of uh, linear routes on his tape. Uh, he's able to stack corners, win vertically. Uh, Drew Locke has easy arm strength. But there were a lot of times when you watch him on tape, and Hall is literally waiting. He has to stop at the top of his route and wait for the ball to arrive because he has that type of speed. Uh, he had a groin injury that kind of derailed his senior year, and it also kept him from the senior bowl. So I think he's, you know, a little off the radar right now, out of sight, out of mind type of thing. People aren't talking about him. But as long as the medicals check out, he's a top 10 receiver in this draft. And I think he's someone worth uh, mentioning because I don't, I don't hear his name a lot, but Emmanuel Hall for me, 
Um, with all the work I've done so far, he is my top graded senior wide receiver. So I don't know if that really counts as a sleeper, but kind of, like I said, out of sight, out of mind, people aren't talking about him a lot, but he's uh, definitely a name to keep on the radar on day two. Yeah, that's a great one. I've heard the name, but I haven't heard many people go in depth like that. And that's fascinating to hear. He's your top guy. Uh, is a senior wide receiver so yeah keep it keep an eye on that Browns fan so uh, that's it for Dane Dane's got a he's got a busy schedule we luckily carved out a little bit of time here on a on a on a, on a morning here on the weekday so follow Dane at again at DP Brugler uh, he's going to give you all the draft content you guys want subscribe to the athletic it's going to give you guys mock drafts there like he said dropping one after the Super Bowl Dane thanks for joining me man I really appreciate it I enjoyed it thanks Jake Yep, absolutely. Okay, guys, that's a wrap for today. Uh, As usual, subscribe, link to iTunes, all of those good things. Give a review if you can. Those always help Brownsville break down the YouTube channel. Subscription helps too. We'll get to some draft prospects coming soon. Uh, And as usual, guys, as we sign off, go Browns.